0: Hey everybody, let me tell you about audible.com. You can sign up at audibletrial.com forward slash brick pit. We'll give you a free credit, two credits if you're already a member of Prime. Uh, the Audible co- Catalog's got podcasts, audiobooks, guided wellness, audible originals. Listen all you want. That'll be a friendly email reminder to let you know when the trial's expiring. Chappie, where are you? Just put in that tape. That's an order. Nothing you can do about me.
1: Chappie, I want to help you. Where are
0: you? Doug, I ain't going to make it.
1: Chappie! This wasn't supposed to
2: happen. Oh, my God. I'm him. I don't want to sell anything, buy anything, or process anything. as a career. I don't want to sell anything bought or processed, or buy anything sold or
3: processed, or process anything sold bought.
2: everyone. Welcome to The Brick and Fit. This is podcast that you didn't know you didn't need serious talk about unserious things. I'm Adam, and co-hosting with me today is a man who I think all of us would actually describe as wonderfully kind and generous and gracious, warm-hearted, one of the most considerate and easygoing people I've ever met, just outstanding person. We're really lucky to have him around. Welcome, Jason. Glad to have you on the cast. Screw
1: you! <laughs> <laughs> and, oh, uh, hey, hi. Hi, how's it going?
2: Also joining us is um is Josh. Josh, would you like to say hi?
0: Is that, <laughs> is that the big joke? That's not a joke. Well you're you're a big joke, but no. At,
1: I feel we got another MST3K open <laughs> session coming here.
0: You know it's illegal to drop bombs like that on American soil. <laughs> This episode is uh, brought to you by the military industrial complex (laughs) (laughs) and
2: and Josh. So welcome to the podcast. Uh, This is going to be an interesting episode. Uh, I'm actually really excited about it because we have some have a lot of deep cut movies, I think, that are going to fit the the idea that we're talking about today. So the idea for this uh, this week's cast is we're talking about 80s teen movies, which. Is a pretty general topic, but I think once you hear what we're what we've come up with, I think you'll you'll get the gist of it. The idea, the impetus for this originally kind of stemmed from the idea of talking about the influence of Brat Pack uh, movies. The Brat Pack was hugely influential, both mirroring '80s culture, but also kind of defining '80s culture at the time. I think a lot of I would say they're
0: more defining than reflective.
2: Reflecting, yeah, w- that's fair. In my mind's eye, it's – you know, we've talked about this a lot. It's not what the 80s actually was like. <laughs> a, if that makes – for most suburban, middle-class kids living out in Podunk forever, the themes of the movies are there. Like the, the emotions are real. The feelings are real. That teen angst and all the heartache and stuff. And we'll talk about a lot of different things it, that come it, up. Well, but,
0: well, I also think it depends on the film. Rewatching some of these films, uh, I was like, yeah, that's how, that's how people dressed. Uh, well, yeah, but it, but it's also it's much more muted than like Stranger Things, where yeah. like it's just like every era of the '80s <laughs> squeezed in. It's kind of yeah. like the problem with uh, what Jason said about uh, Captain Marvel, about it took place in the '90s, like one specific year. It was just <laughs> the '90s.
2: That's actually a really good, and I'm really glad actually that you brought up Stranger Things because I think it's important to acknowledge that right out the gate even though we're not talking about my idea for this was that we would specifically talk about movies from the eighties about more or less about the eighties.
1: We're going to be talking about a lot of the movies that inspired stranger Stranger things. Things.
2: Yeah. And I think like, and and Josh, you made a good point, like in rewatching a lot of these films that I haven't seen in years and years and years, you immediately see the stranger thing, like the things that Stranger things stole from these individual films.
0: Homaged. Homaged. If that's a, if that's a (laughs) verb to (laughs) homage
2: homaging homaging that doesn't sound quite right <laughs> you know john hughes a lot of uh a lot of the 80s brat pack stems from his mind in the way he sort of saw the world specifically in you know chicago suburbs
1: no uh, i i wouldn't say the brat pack i mean he used molly ringwald a lot and a lot of those actors the brat pack also extended out to other people like rob lowe and stuff like yeah, that because yeah. there was there were all these teenagers or not teenagers but Actors in their twenties who were getting famous playing right. teenagers.
0: Yeah, and, and actually, which this is, which a- is a which is a trend across all these films. Oh. It's, it's funny yeah, that yeah. you mentioned Chicago, though. That uh, in in Ebert's review of um, Adventures in Baby City, he said, "I don't know when the teen experience shifted to Chicago, but all these films take place in Chicago." He's <laughs> like when I was a kid, it was like everyone was going to the California beach. Now right. they all live in the suburbs of Chicago.
1: That was definitely John Hughes. Oh, and Chris yeah. Columbus too did
0: Chris, some of that. Chris, yeah. Chris, Chris yeah. Columbus, who who did uh, Adventures in Babysitting? They're almost like uh, go hand in hand. Like I think Chris Columbus focused more on like the kind of preteen teeny bopper side of things. Yeah. yeah. And then like there was like there's a handoff to John Hughes
2: when they when they get to the age where they start cussing out the parents.
0: They're <laughs> <laughs> so, like 10, 11. 10, 11. <laughs> so you
2: know it might be helpful we're kind of both or all of us are kind of assuming that people know what brat pack means or whatever so it's a it's a take on the phrase rat pack which was the 50s and 60s sammy davis jr and dean martin and that frank group, sinatra frank sinatra <clears throat> who did we Cannot a bunch of talk
1: about rat pack and not mention i was good
2: i was getting there The
1: I chairman of the board
2: <laughs> so the brat pack is like jason already said it's it's about a core group of movies, but it's more about a group of actors who are all around the same age, who were in all kinds of different movies. Some of them were John Hughes movies. Some of them weren't. But I think the core group of movies are things that we're going to talk about today and you'll immediately recognize like The Breakfast Club or St. Elmo's Fire, Pretty in Pink, 16 Candles. Those are, you know, everybody agrees. But the actors were, uh, I'm not going to name them all, but, you know, the core ones were like Emilio Estevez and Anthony Michael Hall. Molly Ringwald, she's probably the one that's most. If it's if she's in it, you're probably watching a Brat Pack movie in the 80s. I would say.
0: Ali Sheedy.
2: Ally Sheedy, yeah, her as well. Um, and then to a lesser extent, I think Rob Lowe, but he's considered. I wouldn't
0: say to a lesser extent. I'd say he pair. was first and foremost.
2: Another, I don't know if he, I don't know if he's considered part of the Brat Pack or not, but John Cusack, he's in a lot of these movies in this same era.
0: I, I don't know. He wasn't considered part of the Brat Pack.
2: He wasn't. Okay. Did
0: you do any research for this?
2: <laughs> Did the same amount? I always do. So none. So not. <laughs> as, as all, I mean, I guess if this is your first time listening, as always, everything we say is probably true or maybe not.
0: <laughs> I would, I would take everything we say with the same seriousness that you should take anything anyone on the internet says at any given point in time. Yeah, that's
2: that's a hundred percent. Yeah, that,
0: that's
1: yeah. I, I don't think. John Cusack's considered one of the poor, but he's definitely one of those like orbiting around it. Yeah, uh, you know, people. He was like kickboxing him and- around it.
0: Kick- <laughs> <laughs> that's a good reference.
1: <laughs> Man, a
0: little we'll, kickboxing. Put it. We'll start.
2: Movies. We'll start there. In just a minute, actually. That's a yeah. good. <laughs> that's
0: a good segue.
1: <laughs> but other people like uh, Robert Downey Jr. Oh yeah, Kiefer Sutherland. Yeah, yeah. You know, Sean Penn, James Spader, are also kind of. Yeah, James they're, Spader. They're not-
0: we can't forget him.
1: Yeah, they're they're not core members of the group, but they're definitely uh considered by a lot of people to be a part of that whole. Yeah. Cuz they they all pretty much hung out together too a lot as well partying.
0: Yeah, and they were they were they were uh tabloid sensations and stuff. Yeah.
1: And of course, Emilio's younger brother, Charlie Sheen. Yeah.
0: Little Chucky we used to call him.
1: <laughs> when you were there,
0: right?
2: That's back in the L- L- Carlos
0: I was, I was-
1: Carlos Estevez, man. <laughs>
0: Uh, I'm, Emilio Estevez, man, has had some stones to. You know, he was like, "I'm not changing my name." A, they, A he didn't want to be. You know, he wanted success on his own, but also he was proud of his his birth name. So, yeah. that's
1: I know that. I mean, he's he's done very well
0: for himself. Yeah, but who would have thought back back in those days that Emilio would be like the best of the Estevez <laughs> <laughs> like, like, nobody was taking that bet. I, know, I, mean, I
1: think I think we're all banking on Joe. <laughs> <laughs> oh. <laughs> hey, Google that, people. Figure that out. <laughs> My heart hurts for poor Joe. But <laughs> 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 like, he's the guy you look at. It's like he looks familiar. He's got to he, be somebody. He no, he has he's a not.
0: passing resemblance. Oh, <laughs> he's like a Baldwin brother. Like, you know like way down below Steven or
2: every time we talk about the baldwins you all every time we do this in one of our earlier episodes where you where you said there's the greater and lesser Baldwins and that's always <laughs> <laughs> that's a, that's my favorite Josh about.
3: Josh
1: actually has an appendix it's a lot like Tolkien's. <laughs> and it's... It's, it's the separation of the greater and the lesser bald ones. It's just as incomprehensible as the
0: like <laughs> He's talking about the bald ones in one chapter, and the next chapter he's talking about his hatred of Stranger Things. <laughs> it did not make and any sense. And
2: then, and then there's like this like 300-page monologue about diabetes, and nobody knows
0: where that's coming <laughs> from. That's the whole thing. That's coming from my pancreas. See, I didn't say it came from my heart. <laughs> <laughs> it, Which... Which, Everybody <laughs> knows your pancreas is dead, man. Come on. <laughs> Just like my Just like it's murder. heart. <laughs>
2: <laughs> to get the ball rolling, I actually like Josh's uh, play on this. I wanted to start with Say Anything. It came out in 89. It stars a lesser bald one. It actually does. <laughs> it's, <laughs> it's actually of all the teen romance 80s comedy movies that come out of that era. It's probably my favorite. It's different from us. Even today, I think, a coming of age teen comedy it's it has more weight. The characters are actually sort of more developed.
0: It it is it it straddles the line of comedy and drama. It mm-hmm. also I think borrows heavily uh, from uh, the Graduate. Oh yeah, that's a good point. The uh, the whole I don't want to buy things that are sold or sell thing is is pretty much a direct riff off of the Plastics. Oh right from. Uh, yeah. I mean, I, I'm not saying it's, a, it's it's a ripoff, but I think it was it was heavily influenced by by The Graduate, um, and even even like they're they're leaving on the airplane at the end mm-hmm. is reminiscent of the end of The Graduate because it's like on first reflection you think it's like oh, but if like if you put it in like real context, you're like oh, she just kind of took off with this dude to England. That's that's probably gonna fall apart. Adam, Maybe yeah, need to burst your yeah. bubble. It's going to fall but the, apart.
2: but it, it's but it's somewhat it, 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 it. I don't disagree that with that. I think everybody knows. It. Like maybe not the teenagers who are watching it right. for the first time who are, who have those feelings, right? I, right. So 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 just real quick. So it's a so it's not a uh, a John Hughes movie, but it's actually it's, Cameron Cameron Crow, Crow.
1: is is directorial debut. Yeah. yeah, but he's also responsible for Fast uh, Time at Richman High, which could of course be included on any of our lists and i don't think it was but because it was a very obvious choice yeah
0: i i I do want to interject something real quick about something that looking at back at these films as an old man from my from my rocker i i think the real genius of a lot of these films the the good ones ones that stand the test of time is that they work from both sides of the coin because and i'll talk later about you know my thoughts on on some of these films when I was watching them, when I was contemporary or younger than the characters, mm-hmm. and then now watching them as like a parent of a child that's like entering the era. So glad you era, brought that up. Yep. It's, it's and Chris Columbus did, did, does a fantastic job with that because even in, in the in the first Harry first I think he did the first two Harry Potter films, and it, it's it's such a delicate balance that it can be viewed two ways simultaneously depending on your your point of view. That's that's masterful. And, and and I think the ones like like the Breakfast Club and, and all the ones that we're talking about maybe maybe not some of them but <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but, but the yeah. ones that, that, are, that the, are the ones that are good exemplary on, on of the, the genre yeah. I think yeah. are able to resonate with you no matter what age you are so and I think that's something that that's lost a lot today because it's everything's so narrow targeted focus like we need we need the preteens on this and it's like we don't give a crap if anybody else cares about this so i hate everything i've aged out of the marketing
2: (laughs) so so for say anything one of the things that i think i like about this movie is touches on what you're talking about i guess real quick for anybody who's not seen it the premises is that the valedictorian straight a perfect student uh daughter uh it's the the movie essentially takes place over the summer after graduation she's Super buckled down, super straight laced. Um, has won a scholarship to go to England, and on the on the graduation day of graduation, John Cusack gets up the nerve to call her, and uh, and her dad is played by John Mahoney, who you you'd recognize as the dad from Fraser.
0: That's why you picked this,
2: and uh, it's it's not the only reason. This to me, the theme of this movie is about trust. One of the things that I wa- on rewatch of this, so I mean, just like you said, so I haven't seen this movie since before I had kids, and then on rewatch. Getting ready for the show. It's a totally different move. Like all of these are different. They get different, uh, especially these coming of age where there's parents involved. He plays, he's not a Disney dad, right? He's not some idiot, bumbling, clueless, can't figure out what the heck's going on at Mm -hmm. any given moment. He's serious. Now he has a big secret that he's kept. But he's a caring, trusting parents. And the and the line, the line, the name of the movie, say anything, is because she says, "I feel like I can say anything to you." So like she spends the night with John Cusack, and then she tells her dad about it. And he, you know, and he reacts like a dad, but he's also like he calms himself down to listen and see what's going on. The core of the movie is about honesty and dishonesty, and it's really, really just the way the dynamic between the father and daughter play out. It's well rounded. And the the secret he's keeping is that the dad is he, he has committed a, a white collar crime. He's a nursing home director, and essentially he. Uses that to profit from when the when the people residents die, he steals their money more or less. And so the IRS prosecutes him. That sets up what's another interesting fact that doesn't happen in a lot of teen comedies then or now. The consequences of like things that are going on with the secondary character have weight,
0: mm-hmm.
2: and it, it contributes to their like realism of the story too. And, so. and
0: I think one of the prevailing tropes or themes in these kind of movies is the issue of stakes. Mm-hmm, I love mm-hmm. that the stakes are always, as an adult, they're kind of small. Yeah. But they're thing. it's like Goonies. You know, like I yeah. talked about Goonies, like the, the crux of Goonies is they don't want to move. And as an adult, <laughs> yeah. you're like, I get it. Yeah. You know, but when you're a kid, that's like devastating. And so like.
1: Literally world changing.
0: Yeah. And Adventures in Babysitting, the, the premise is they're going to drive 30 minutes into downtown Chicago to pick up their friend and come back because she ran away and got as far as the bus stop. One of the most hilarious things in the film that is she's calling on the payphone and says can you you pay for a cab if I bring a cab back? And she's like no that would be like 40 bucks. And she said well I used all my money on a cab to get down here. So this girl took a cab from the the suburbs (laughs) to the bus station (laughs) and used all of her money. That just cracked me up because it's like that's exactly what (laughs) a teenager would do that was running away and then immediately regretted her decision. But that's, (laughs) that's, that's small stakes, but that's like to a kid. That's, that's real deal. They're trying to run away. And then you gotta, you gotta save them and keep them from the parents from seeing them. And
2: so let's talk about that movie.
0: I don't know. I haven't seen it.
2: (laughs) I've always seen the one scene. (laughs) I watched it in the trailer. It was actually, (laughs) so this is a Chris Columbus movie, as you've already mentioned is actually his directorial debut.
0: What's funny is most of the movies that, that that I chose, Roger Ebert hated. Yeah, the funny thing about this 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 is one where he mentioned, like, oh, everything's in Chicago now, but like he was like basically like this movie was not very funny, except for the scene that I personally thought was like incredibly cringy and not funny. He loved, and that's <laughs> when they they end up in the blues club and have to yeah. sing the babysitter blues. It's awful. It's bad. It's yeah. it's bad. And it it it. I, I could say it didn't age well because it it was bad it, then. It was bad, bad, bad then. then. It, play, yeah. it played really, really badly.
2: <laughs> so Gold on that seed. note about aging well, uh-huh. not just this movie, but I, I think it's important to note make a note here. A lot of the movies we're going to talk about today have at least some at least one scene in them that is uncomfortable to watch <laughs> either, either because of the length like it just the times were different they were they're a period piece of their own time well, and i
0: think ultimately that's probably a positive that if that it shows that you know we're moving of
2: evolution of society yeah, yeah. So uh, I should say, I always say that to say we're not in necessarily endorsing these films whole cloth. If you watch them and you're like, I can't believe
0: these guys would. So Adventures in Babysitting, Chris Columbus, Elizabeth Shue, who like was like my yep. first celebrity crush. Still is to this day. She's amazing, can do no wrong. Boy, do I have a
2: surprise for you, Josh. Elizabeth are you on the line?
0: <laughs> <laughs> so so anyway, what what I liked about this film, this is definitely one of the it was small stakes. Anthony Rapp was was the annoying friend. I didn't realize that. Who later he's now like uh, Stamets in Star Trek Discovery.
1: Uh, Big Broadway star too.
0: Yeah, he was in the, his original cast of Rent. Like he so, but he blew up. Uh, good for him. But and he was just he was the, the he tropey. literally blew
1: up. Yes,
0: that was sad. But <laughs> he was the tropey like annoying friend. There's so many little directing choices that are just delicious. (laughs) So like when I was a kid, like you thought Elizabeth Shue had it all together and she was the oh, she was 17 and she was the babysitter. And she, Mm. so she has all this authority. You watch it as an adult. You're like, none of these kids have it together. This is, this is a disaster from the get go. When they, they're first going into the city, there's a shot of them driving and she's driving in her mom's, uh, you know, station wagon. And she's in the far left lane going about 15 miles an hour and cars are just zooming by and it's it's like a 3 second shot but it's like like that's exactly what some stupid teenager would do <laughs> driving in the left lane at 15 miles an hour think it you know and I was like that's they did. That was just a great attention to detail, you know, and then the tire blows out. She's got to cross through all the traffic to get off.
1: I, going back also, I think, you know, when you were talking about uh, the friend who calls to initiate the entire trek into mm-hmm. Chicago. I think one of my, my favorite bits is the fact that she is so just her mind is completely melted down just from having to be in a bus station <laughs> in right. Chicago and just the people who right. are in a bus station in the middle of Chicago. Well to
2: be to be fair somebody flashes a handgun at her. <laughs>
0: <laughs> <laughs> you know. Well I I also I also want to say I want to say here that The the little girl, and I can't remember her character's name, but she is the most legitimate comic book enthusiast in all of cinema. For Thor. She was was 100% into Thor in 1987 or whenever, like, when nobody read Thor. She loved Thor. Kudos to her.
1: And I love the fact that at this point, Marvel had, like, zero power. Right. It was like, yeah, you can use the Thor character. And it's uh, Vincent D'Onofrio. Mm-hmm. In a wig, <laughs> in a, a really Thor bad hammer wig, but, yes. uh, but yeah,
0: with a red hat and a blue like tank yeah. top, <laughs> He's
1: like that, a mechanic that, or that, something. That
0: that plays so well. That's so great. Um, and her just like exuberance.
2: I don't know if you know this, but it was supposed the way the script was written was she was going to be a huge. This is true. I'm not making this up. It's not a bit. She was going to be <laughs> she's going to be a huge fan of He Man and She Woman.
1: She-Ra. She-Ra. There Jesus, we go, dude.
2: my brain uh, my mouth knew what i wanted to say my brain could in the original (laughs) script she was supposed to be a fan of he-man and she-ra but chris columbus is like i don't like those i like thor and so he (laughs) changed it (laughs) he Uh he changed it to thor also another quick thing is that uh because we were just talking about her molly ringwald was supposed to play uh the part uh that um, Elizabeth Shue got.
0: As much as I, I like Molly Ringwald, I don't think she'd be right for the role.
1: No. Well no, so I think Paramount Elizabeth Shue was great.
2: Molly Ringwald's prices were too high or whatever. Paramount had had optioned this script. And then and they said but they would only make it if it was Molly Ringwald because they, because of you know the time and when this was the she, she she was the one. But it didn't work out. And so that's why Disney and by the way it's on Disney Plus. That's
0: what uh, and, and look here's here's the only thing the edit Yes. So like okay. Dis- yeah, Disney likes to Disney likes to throw up like the and I thought there was going to be like warning there's smoking in this cuz they <laughs> like mm-hmm. to do stuff like that or like and there's there are things in there that are like hey there's some racial insensitivity in this film. Mm-hmm. no they're just like we edited for content. Yeah. And I was like, "Huh, well, I wonder if I'll be able to tell." Oh yeah, they it's basically a TV dub over some of the uh f-bombs and things. Yeah, yeah. And uh,
2: and poorly done at that, which is.
0: Yes, it was. I mean, I think it was literally taken from like the, the, you know, when they did it on TV 20 years ago. Or,
2: I I mean, it would have been better as, as instead of like dubbing over her with, it was like her voice and then fool it was like yeah. a like a 40 year old man was, right. <laughs> was like wait a minute that didn't sound right you,
0: you so could Disney hear the Marlboro intern. and <laughs> his,
1: he took a drag his laced his
0: vocal cords. <laughs> he's, just, he's got oh. one hand on the on the on the shuffle going away. all right all right but lining up the fool <laughs>
1: think right, that's it one take we got it
0: that's a lunch yeah, so but I I would have much rather, especially like now that they're they're pulling in like the the Netflix Marvel stuff and all, it's like yeah. just just put the warnings up. That's like some people get all bent out of shape of that, but it's like I, you know a warning can't hurt you. And a lot of times, like when I was a kid on HBO, it told you like of untold treasures you were about to <laughs> see. <purchase.
1: laughs> right. Like sometimes I mean, set it up little, the bar a little too high. And right, it, right. <laughs> but it, it
0: just, <laughs> if it said rated R, and you didn't see partial nudity. I would not watched it. Change channel. <laughs> <That's>, <laughs> not worth my time that's so that's just uh, the, being real man this
2: is an old joke but there's a joke in friends where joe where joey says somebody comes in and he goes how do you like that movie he goes i was lied to it said full nudity he goes nobody wants to see man that's not what we were expecting <laughs> I, I watched that whole movie <laughs> this is not what i signed up for so jason what's a pick up hey,
0: thanks for reminding me why i don't watch
1: friends
2: i know it's <laughs> so what's your uh what's your first take, jason?
1: Okay, I'm actually gonna do two movies at once because they are awesome and they are directed by Savage Steve Holland. I, I realized I've an affinity for like directors who just like unapologetically love cartoons. Their style is definitely you know influenced by that, like Joe Dante. But Savage Steve Holland started off as an animator. Uh, claim to fame, he made the whammies on Press Your Luck.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Little animated whammies that come and steal your money when you screwed up.
0: I had no idea. That's awesome.
1: Yeah, first film he did is uh, a great cult classic. Better off dead, starring John Cusack. Yeah,
0: any, any kind of '80s teen movie. This is this is top of the list stuff here.
2: Unfortunately, it's not available to rent or stream anywhere right now. I'm sure it'll come back around, but I I wasn't able to pull it up. So I've never seen Better Off Dead. I I know it's I know it's a cult classic. It's definitely oh, yeah, on the list you, for you. You have so. to watch
1: it. It's. Uh, Curtis Armstrong is also in it, which most okay. people will remember as Snot mm-hmm. from the Revenge of the Nerds movies. Booger, I believe. Excuse Booger. Me. Oh, Booger.
0: Snot was in, the, in. Is in the knockoff or in the mock the mock version. <laughs> we're,
2: we're in rare form yeah. with our references tonight. Yeah.
1: <laughs> so, uh, but yeah, it's it's very much influenced by uh, his animation background and, and love of animation. What I think I really love about uh, Joe Dante and Savage Steve Holland is their realization that animation essentially at its base is a very dark comedy. It's about, you know, dropping anvils and pianos <laughs> on characters and blowing them up with dynamite. So that dark humor transitions into what he does. And the the concept is John Cusack is a teenager. His uh, girlfriend, Beth, breaks up with him. It's this, destroys his world and he starts seriously contemplating suicide and hijinks ensue
0: that's hilarious
1: (laughs) (laughs) but it's also you know filled with a lot of animation stop motion and regular uh cell drawn animation everything it is very surreal very over the top all the the characters are essentially cartoon characters uh his mother is trying to like start cooking like more healthily and stuff like that. And so instead of frying bacon, she boils it. (laughs) His mother also, uh, by the way, is played by the original little girl from the original True Grit. Oh, really? Yeah, same actress. Uh, uh, Also, David Ogden Steers. So, uh, yeah, it's about him wanting to kill himself. Crazy things happening. Like, uh, I think at one point he decides he's going to drink like some kerosene or something like that. And his he gets pulled away as he's walking, like he's like covered up in in like oily rags and stuff like that, carrying a a jar. And his family stops him and p- pulls him into the dining room because they have company. They got the the neighbors from across the street who have the foreign exchange student and all that kind of stuff. The neighbor's mom winds up drinking the kerosene and she's a smoker, so she lights the <laughs> cigarette. There's an explosion. Uh, and like the next scene is John Cusack, his neighbor, and the foreign exchange student. And he's like sorry your mom blew up (laughs) of course he he has a a fight with his girlfriend's new boyfriend who's captain of the ski team and so he winds up challenging that guy to a ski competition and the foreign exchange student she teaches him how to uh, to better himself at skiing all that kind of stuff because a big thing about savage steve holland is uh john cusack's character always kind of overstating his abilities in certain things Hmm. and then having to prove himself Big hit on HBO, I know that's where Josh and I both saw it. Everything went very well, and Cusack immediately signed on to do uh, Holland's second movie, One Crazy Summer. And so they they go into that production and everything, and then there's the the premiere, and Cusack apparently comes out of the movie and just hates the movie. I didn't know that. Uh, according to Savage Steve Holland, he actually like, you made me look like a fool, I'll never trust you again. Wow, and that's
0: my favorite of the two, actually. <laughs>
1: Uh of course, now Cusack's like, oh, I think it's good. You know, I thought it could be better, but I saved all my wishes. of course, Cusack, as much as I love him in a lot of these movies at that time and, and gross point blank, does kind of have a reputation uh, of being a difficult actor. But One Crazy Summer is the follow-up. It's on an island in Nantucket, and it's actually my favorite because it is the most zany and out of control. Zany uh, is a good word. Yes. Is it all the
2: same characters in the same universe? No, no,
1: no. Okay. It's, it's. It's that same, you know, car- living cartoon thing. And it's okay. John Cusack and Curtis Armstrong is in it again. Uh, but you have Demi Moore in this next time. Uh, and this one, he's called Hoops because uh, apparently he plays basketball. But during the whole film, you see that he can't actually sink a ball into a basket.
0: <laughs> and and that brings up, like, there's there are two of my, my favorite things in films that I'll never get tired of. Is is one is the and these show up a lot in these in these movies is the somebody says something crazy at the beginning of the film and through like a wacky series of events that thing that preposterous thing comes to fruition (laughs) yes and puts them in that situation and the other is and both of these things happen in this film because and the other one is just the Rube Goldberg machinations that, <laughs> that put people like into ultimately like an absurdist situation. But like, because you saw the sausage making, like it, it all, it all get, has like his natural flow. Yeah. And it doesn't so break it,
2: pit you. You can, you can, right. follow it, it, it starts yeah.
0: off like, Oh, okay. And it keeps <laughs> topping itself and getting crazier, but right. you're with it every step of the way. It's
2: boiling the frog alive
1: yeah. is what's happening. Yeah. <laughs> Well, I love it. This this has a great comedic cast in it. Like I said, it's, it's John Cusack, Curtis Armstrong in. Demi Moore is now in as the love interest. You got Bobcat Goldthwait. Get uh, Joel Murray, Bill Murray's uh, younger brother. Who's Joe fantastic. Flattery, yes, uh, Joe Flattery from SCTV, one of the most underrated comedic actors, I think. Mark Metcalf, who is was like the professional jerk. Of late 70s 80s films because uh he was of course the rotc uh commander in animal house he's also famously in the uh twisted sister we're not gonna take it video and so he does this this jerk you know that the 80s uh horrible capitalist who's trying to to take land, to build his his great uh, real estate development and restaurant and all that kind of stuff. I wonder
0: who he was spoofing.
1: <laughs> <laughs> what I love about it, you know, they have, it, it's one of my favorite setups uh, in comedy. This particular joke, it, it isn't done nearly as well until almost like 20 years later when Arrested Development decided to do it. But, you know, of course, he's doing his development, so he has the little model of his development. It, you know, the the centerpiece is his restaurant that he wants, and he wants to put it on the land that Demi Moore just got from her granddad. And, you know, has back mortgage, so she's trying to get money for it. Bobcat Goldthwait, this is probably the best use of Bobcat Goldthwait ever in a film.
0: Other than uh, Shakespeare the Clown, yes. <laughs> yeah.
1: They're on an island. They're on Nantucket Island. There's a lot of Jaws references in this film. One of them being is there's a sequel to a movie being made there. The movie was Foam, and it's about a giant... Dolphin with rabies that terrorizes this new England town. He has a part time job, like running security for the, the film company, like guarding the prop truck and everything, the wardrobe truck. But he's also supposed to leave and watch the party at the, you know, bad guy's estate because this girl has pulled John Cusack into a date with her at the movie theater and her boyfriend is that guy's son. Who's the big dumb jock with a temperamental, uh, attitude.
0: The William Zapka of the
1: film. Yeah. So Bobcat Goldthwait screwing around in the, the prop truck and he finds a Godzilla costume. So what else is Bobcat Goldthwait going to do, but put on the Godzilla costume and zips it up and then he can't get out of it. And he realizes he has to leave so he can be at this party to, to be on the lookout, he gets to the party. Somebody throws away a cigar, which, of course, lands in the Godzilla mouth and starts setting it on fire. So Bobcat Goldthwait jumps out of the bushes in a Godzilla costume with smoke just billowing out of the mouth. And, of course, runs and stomps all the way across the model development. There's also (laughs) a bit, there's (laughs) Joel Murray's, like, little sister has this dog and they have like the cone over it like band-aids for no reason like all over the dog and muss up the hair and everything to make it look ugly and these two little girls are like making fun of her and her dog and <laughs> i love it's just like these tiny little bits that they do so like the crossing guard says you know if you keep making faces like that and somebody comes up behind you and slaps you on your back your your face stays that way so the little girls walk around the corner and there's the dog sitting there by itself so they Start making faces in front of it, and the little girl comes up behind them, slaps them on the back, and they pull their hands away, and it's like this Twilight Zone esque face on them. What I love about this film,s though, is like said, unlike Revenge of the Nerds, it ages well. The cringiest thing in this movie is the fact that uh, Jeremy Piven is in it. Who's Jeremy Piven, man? That's low.
2: (laughs) (laughs) I don't know. I don't remember who Jeremy Piven is. I'll stop.
0: Jeremy Piven is indistinguishable from the the characters he plays, he was an odd, you know, from entourage. He was, Ah, he was the agent. He was also a PCU, which was a a movie that was much better than it deserved to be.
2: You know, you mentioned Bobcat Goldweight, which I haven't thought about him in a long time, but what I was gonna say is I really admire him. You know, he had a bit, which was that voice that he did. And he basically, you know, he made all, all of his early success was on being that character. You know, even in interviews, like when he went on tonight show or whatever, he stayed in character. And then around like, 2000 ish. she just gave it up quietly he's like i'm not doing it anymore i'm just not going to do it and then he started doing stand-up and became a different he became more and and he's very fun. he's a good writer he's a he's a good comedian he's a great director
1: too yeah yeah and i think he he stopped doing the voice because the voice hurt his throat like yeah well
2: you know and you want to be more than just a like you know Yakov Spirov. <laughs> you, know, like you, want to, you want to have a, a repertoire. I don't ever want
0: to be more than Yakov
2: <laughs> If I could retire in Branson, <laughs> you're just Branson. a Branson <laughs> hater is what you are. That's, hey, you're an elitist.
0: If I had a theater named after me in Branson,
1: boy,
2: what yeah. I would do. You're one of them Gatlinburg <laughs> elitists is what you are. That's...
1: We'll provide a link below to Josh's uh, Kickstarter to start. His. I, w- I want my theater, Josh to be theater next to
0: the Hatfields and McCoy Theater in in Pigeon Forge. That go. is the height. <laughs> so uh, this week's episode is sponsored by Go Gatlinburg, where you can come visit us at the Hatfield McCoy Theater. Five nights of fun, <laughs> crammed into a thirty minute experience.
1: I think at this point we should just start charging people to not do commercials for them.
0: <laughs> the Catlinburg like tourism uh, commission is gonna call up and be like, look, how much for you? Shut <laughs> up. Don't mention Catlinburg ever again. <laughs> <laughs> but I like my moonshine. <laughs> From Billy Ray Cyrus's moonshine factory. They have several flavors like watermelon,
1: Cherry. tangerine
0: dream. <laughs> And don't forget to check out the Titanic exhibit. (laughs) Top it all off at Ripley's Believe It or Not.
2: (laughs) With an aquarium. We're really playing to our demographic here, I think.
0: (laughs) I I think we've just proven to each other that we've both been to Gatlinburg.
1: (laughs) I (laughs) was going to say, there's way too deep of a dive.
3: That's (laughs) an intimate
1: knowledge.
2: (laughs) Remember, we're at traffic light number five on the strip. (laughs) why don't we go in? Why don't we save Josh and go ahead and take a commercial break? And then uh, when we come back, we'll talk about some of the, some classics that I like. So. All right, we're back. So uh, I think one of the, for me is sort of the, when I had this idea for this episode, the, the immediately, the first movie that came to mind was the breakfast club. It's sort of, this is a, maybe an overly general statement, but I think if I were trying to think of one movie, that's sort of, central to the teen angst zeitgeist of eighties films. This is probably it for me. I think for a lot of people, it captured that feeling of these movies in time. If you've never seen the breakfast club, the premises is that all the different a representative from many of the various cliques in high school. All the tribes came to all the tribes had. So there's a rep the detention
3: from
2: had at a Saturday detention class in the library at their high school in Chicago, or in the Chicago suburbs.
1: Shermer, um, Illinois.
2: Shermer, yep.
0: Again, well, you know, the stakes are small, but significant right. to the, the people. I mean, detention, Saturday detention, biggest deal in the world when you're in high school. Uh, now, it's like, whatever. <laughs> well, <laughs> I did those detentions standing on my head. I did in-school suspension.
2: <laughs> so breakfast club you have all that you have the nerd you have the you know jock, like the jock uh the, the princess weirdo, the, the yeah the, yeah the judd nelson the judd nelson <laughs>
0: everybody had a judd nelson
2: everybody had a judd nelson and it's it's actually i rewatched it it's i hadn't seen it in a long time i had mixed feelings about some of it overall i think it stands up okay it's it's a uh you know it's it's in that same it's a john hughes film right it's just it's like the quintessential right. john hughes Hughes team film.
0: To be fair, all those kids did deserve to be in detention. In, right. They they were like, no no one was innocent in that prison. <laughs> right. And it's
2: so there's some heavy stuff in it too. Like the nerd isn't going to pass shop class. The reason he's in Saturday detention is because he brought a flare gun to school and was going to kill himself. And that's how he got this because he because he wasn't going to pass. It, you well know, then this there's
0: a, was all the stuff about the kid that got bullied and right. and had uh, by Emilio Estevez.
2: There's a, there's these deep moment. I did do a little reading on this, and what I found was interesting is like there's this the turning point in the movie. So the, you know the gist is, is all these kids are from different places in their lives, but they're all essentially. It's like a lot of movies. What the point is is to show you that we're all basically just people are people. Like we're all different. We all have these ways that we're different, but at the end of the day, people are people. We all have our own trauma and crap we're dealing with. Yeah, well,
0: it's about it's about understanding the other. It's, right. Uh, which is like probably one of the major themes of all art. Yeah. Is, to, is to understand the other uh so That's a really good it's point. yes it's an 80s teen movie but there's a reason why that it resonates because it, it gets down to because that you do grow out of high school but there still are tribes it's mm. inescapable but in just like high school you forget people have their own struggles and and even if they're not you know you're not getting a cigarette burns on you because you spill right. paint like your struggles are still your struggles and Be cool.
2: So the the scene where they have like their come to Jesus meeting where they're all talking and sharing Mm -hmm. what makes them unique or whatever. Interestingly enough, they essentially ad libbed a lot of that. The script sort of framed out what they wanted, what he wanted them to, what direction he wanted them to drive the story, Mm -hmm. and they did a bunch of different takes. But they all were basically just cut loose to say whatever they wanted. And that is, I thought that was interesting. That was a, and you know, I like little things like that. Little inside baseball and. Another quick thing is John Hughes does a cameo at the end. He's Brian's dad that picks him up in the car. Um,
0: John Hughes, after he passed, this this uh, girl wrote a. Uh, I, I don't know where I read it, but apparently she had she wrote him uh, after she saw his first film, and he wrote back, and they remained pen pals until his death. I think he. I think it was on maybe The Breakfast Club or something that he had her come out and help with some dialogue and stuff to make sure it was like <clears throat> for Legit. real teen. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But it's a, it was a really touching story. Cause she was just some Midwest girl that was like, Oh, I love this film really spoke to me. Like he took the time to get to know her. And I mean, obviously he, he milked her for information on how kids talk and stuff. Yeah. What, what it, a young ones saying these days. Yeah. But, I, but I think, you know, that's, that's pretty cool you know yeah. like he uh, you don't hear anybody saying especially you know he's he's he passed away quite some time ago uh
2: nothing bad's come out uh, about long, him long yet.
0: enough <laughs> for people to be like well you know one day at the breakfast club he uh he brought puppies in and he shot them. Said, that's what. Ha- that's a banner Christmas.
2: <laughs> he looked, and then they turned to Molly Ringwald and was like, "Get your lines right." <laughs> I named this
0: puppy Molly. This, Molly couldn't get her lines right.
2: <laughs> hey, Judd Nelson, come here and hold this puppy for a second.
3: <laughs>
0: she she turned yeah. into Martin Sheen and uh, a yeah, little about. girl down the lane, like. You know, putting cigarettes out on gerbils. <laughs>
2: it's, uh, you know, I, I think we're revealing why you only got to direct that one movie, Josh.
0: <laughs> got they shoot loose. horses, don't they? That was <laughs> I was like, yeah. <laughs> it's like a 30 minute shoot. It's great.
2: <laughs> if you're, only, I would say for my list of movies that we talk about today, if you're only going to watch one, this is the one.
0: I think that leads into um, the one that I really want to talk about. Sure, let's do it. Which is another high school centric, like, it takes place in a high school uh, teenage movie that, like, was a, an abysmal failure at the box office. But I think is, <clears throat> after just recently rewatching it, it's like it's it affected me as a kid and it affected me as an adult watching it. Like, like, but. Watching it from from the perspective of knowing more about film and, and script writing stuff like that, mm. I was like, man, this this is awesome. It is also one of the only two films that Steven Spielberg took his name off of. Right. Yeah. <laughs> <That's what laughs> so I'm glad but, you brought that up. <laughs> but but here's the thing, and I, and I think I, I I didn't I wasn't able to find out the reason why. I I, I, I not know if he you, thought did he think it was bad.
2: No, uh, we can get into it. But go ahead and okay. reveal it, and then we'll but, talk about it.
0: <laughs> um, so the other was Fandango. Mm. which is which is not a spielbergian film but he did produce it and that is also fandango is to graduate in college what a lot of these movies are to high school if you've not seen fandango it nails that kind of crisis moment of crossing into an adulthood and that weird place where it's like okay you're you're done with college your life's ahead of you and you're like i don't you know, I don't know if you experienced that but there's that existential crisis of what now there's no pathway laid out for me there's there's kind of this wide open there's no more goal markers you know it's like okay I'm gonna graduate high school I'm gonna graduate college I'm gonna to... so anyway the, the film that I want to talk about is uh is three o'clock high which is uh, I got a feeling that we're going to have a different opinion of this, but it is 1987, uh, directed by I don't know how to pronounce his name, Phil Jeannot, who was younger right. than the two leads, uh, yeah. and it is it's a comedy kind of it's a dark comedy, but I'd say it it falls more to the dramatic side of things. So there, there's some there's some kind of heightened reality yeah. to it. The director said that he was. He was informed by uh, Raging Bull and uh, After Hours, and it's basically a remake of Twelve O'Clock High. Uh, right. The the Western High Noon. Yeah. Yeah. High Noon. That's and uh, and Spielberg when he watched it said he wanted the Karate Kid. He said he said right. he said you're supposed to bring in the Karate Kid. You brought me Scorsese. That's like, that's
2: exactly why right. he, he basically there was two things he was he was so Spielberg was developing a brand mm-hmm. for his name. This didn't fit his brand,
0: right? Uh, and, and B, I, and as it,
2: the it. director who did direct it, sold him one idea,
0: <laughs> and then that, that's made a, very a totally young director thing yeah. to do. And, but, and then oh, made yeah, a different you want to movie. A kid? Cool. <laughs> yeah. And then, but here's the thing: it's it's shot to like the first thing I was like, oh, I was just digging the the cinematography, and to get freaking Barry Sonnenfeld, yeah. was the cinematographer.
2: It's an excellently filmed movie. It's it's a film in the way that yes. it's made. It's it's a, a among all the movies we're gonna talk about tonight, it is it is the most that has that true cinematographer's eye to yes. it. I noticed that too. I really like it.
0: And and uh, Ebert gave it one star.
2: Yeah. Well hated the, it.
0: Yeah. But but he brought <laughs> some like real old man energy to it because he I mean he straight up was like, This guy ends up beating up a bully instead of becoming friends with him. What right. the heck? It was like—I mean, it was just like, <laughs> dude, you were obviously never bullied in school because somebody that was bullied, it is more like a Scorsese film.
1: Yeah, it, that, it, that, that, that whole that if you just punch them, they'll they'll go away. stop. Right. Off- no, they they hit you harder. That's how that <laughs> works. Right? And
0: that's that's the brilliant thing about the film is like they 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 come up with good ideas and they keep trying to get out. And the whole, the whole premise is this. New kid comes, who's a psychopath, and and they do a lot of buildup to 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 create his bona fides. He's he's done all these terrible things. They're like, "Don't touch him," and the guy accidentally touches him. He's like,
2: "I'm going to." That's his big thing. That's his big trigger. Is somebody touches him,
0: beat the crap out of you at three o'clock. And so this kid goes through like more and more like like desperate measures to stop. He pays this guy to try to beat up the bully, and then that guy gets the crap kicked out of him. That's actually then, one of the best scenes.
2: Let's stop there for a second because he pays he pays the like captain of the co- captain of the football team because he's and he, the setup for that's actually really good. He's like, hey, remember that time you defended this other kid? <laughs>
3: <laughs> <laughs>
2: you know, and he's like, yeah, well, I did it for a hundred dollars. You know, and it's probably my favorite scene in the whole movie. Our protagonist and and his buddy who is the editor of the newspaper who mm-hmm. sort of set this whole bad series of events in motion. They're in the library. They're hiding in the stacks by, <laughs> yeah. at the end of this long <laughs> row of bookcases. And the quarterback goes in and he goes talks to the bat to the boy, and whose uh, name is Buddy. He's like, Buddy, I hear you're messing with. What's the kid's name in the movie? I forgot now. But
3: Jerry, uh, I Jerry, Jerry Mitchell. Yeah,
2: Jerry Mitchell. You're you're going to leave him alone. He's poking Buddy's chest. And remember, Buddy's trigger is don't touch Buddy. And so Buddy grabs the quarterback's finger and breaks it, and then punches him in the face and knocks him out. But as he falls. He does that classic thing that always happens in libraries and movies, as he dominoes all the bookcases, and there's just this long row of them, you know, quack 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 clock, clock. And as the last one falls, there's the, there's Jerry and his friend standing at the end of the library, just
3: completely <laughs> exposed. exposed.
2: <laughs> it's a good sight gag. It, it was. Yeah. I, I mean, there wasn't a lot of laugh out loud moments in this movie for me.
0: No, but that no, that was one was, of. Them. But uh, look one time when uh, I got in a fight with this guy at school in high, in in junior high I think may have been, been been high school but uh we were on the basketball team together and uh he and the whole thing was like we're gonna fight after basketball practice and I mean it mirrored this movie very much like I didn't want to fight uh, I knew I would get the crap kicked out of me so watching that film like I'd watched that film before but like like that tension that's built up that's mm-hmm. like that's real deal, like that, and and I don't. I think Ebert just was completely wrong on this. I think that it was it was acknowledgement of like you know high school. There are there are people that are it's they, abject evil exists in that high school environment. Yes, yeah. the, the the relentless terror, and and I don't think it represented the decline of Westernness. <laughs> I thought it was a masterpiece of storytelling.
2: I loved every second uh, of it. It was. I gave it a so my actual rating of it was six out of ten to put a number on it I thought it was a good movie worth watching I would recommend it to others you know it'll be years before I watch it again
0: after this podcast I'm going to beat you up and then you'll know you'll know (laughs) what it's like Uh, to have that terror
2: if you don't think I know what it's like to have that terror you don't know me at all So the the ending was the ending ra- unravels like they had to wrap it up somehow right the the tension of the movie was good and and the the Pratt Falls and the and the like like you said the continue It has that thing that I really like in comedies where it's there's the misunderstanding and there's the mm-hmm. the failed attempt to do some other thing and you,
0: you comedy you, of errors
2: comedy of errors I couldn't think of that but thank you um
0: that's Shakespeare
2: but you got to build that <laughs> up to a to a satisfactory conclusion. They either should have ended the film right at the end of the fight. Like, I mean, it was, you know, it didn't have much. There's a,
0: there's this bit in the, in earlier, like he's, he's trying to get himself put into tension. So yeah. he doesn't fight. Yeah. And so he ends up like kissing the uh, teacher, kissing the teacher. And yeah. then she's all into it. That scene where she shows up at the very end. Yeah. Was shot after the film was shot because like test audiences wanted to know what happened. Oh, for Pizza. So that so that so <laughs> that ending was, was based on stupid audiences, so you can blame that. Yeah.
1: Also, so uh, like
0: this film was like it cost like six million. It made like three million at the box office. <laughs> it take like like I said it's a film and, and I yeah. I think it was I really enjoyed it. I, I loved every
2: second. For its era, it was pretty revolutionary the way it was the way the the cinematography is definitely worth it the was watch.
0: shot like if Sam Raimi did a Teen yeah, comedy. that's exactly. That's yeah.
2: a perfect. Yeah, that's a really good example.
0: So. Or if Barry Sonnenfeld was, the... <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah, I think a lot of people forget just how like legit Barry Sonnenfeld is as a cinematographer. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Like that dude, well, that raising Arizona. He's not, yeah, he's not is, a bad
0: director either. No, I
1: mean, no, uh, he, he. But he usually does you know over the top comedy stuff. Adam's Family. Yeah. yeah. Uh, Men in Black. You know, Wild Wild West. But I mean, he is a. a Truly beyond competent cinematographer, like that dude understands how He's got,
0: he has an eye. Yeah,
1: yeah, yeah. he, he understands how to compose the shot. He understands, you know, how the film reacts in certain lights and stuff like that. He's he is a master of that craft.
0: Well, it it, it prompted me on on Twitter to have a discussion um, about. It's not the steady cam is part of it, but uh, the the kind of like range of motion that is mm-hmm. now existent and film has led to a real decline in mise-en-scene and
2: mm-hmm.
0: and just setting up shots and it and, I and taking think,
2: the craft of it
0: more seriously yeah but yeah. i th- and i think that's a lot of people's unconscious problems like they'll, they'll talk about marvel movies stuff like, like that and it's like there is there's there's not a lot of composition going on there's a lot of things happening but there's no artistic composition mm-hmm. going on. And sometimes you want to just set set the camera camera on sticks. Sti- yeah. sticks. Yeah. And and let things happen within that frame.
2: We most recently talked about this with the new Doom movie mm-hmm. that came out. Yes. Where where it's a, a reason it stands out is cuz they let the movie just be the movie.
1: It was deliberately anti-Marvel and yeah.
0: was, was, uh, he he takes the time to 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 paint with light, you know. Like Thomas but, Kincaid.
1: <laughs> no, that, but there's there's a lot of you know because it goes back to like David Lean's Lawrence of Arabia. Mm-hmm. There's oh, yeah. like you're you're in a wasteland to so show the wasteland. wasteland I mean, that right, yeah. that showed you know the one of the greatest shots in cinema yeah. is Omar Sharif riding a camel up, and he's just like this tiny speck on the horizon, and he gets closer and closer to the camera. Yeah, and it's just it shows just how isolating. The desert well, is.
0: The the best part of, of Multiverse of Madness was when uh, Elizabeth Olsen has taken over the uh Scarlet Witch has taken over the the non Scarlet Witch in that one universe and is like checking on the uh the kids and it's it's very Raimi esque. Like the cameras can there's movement of the camera, but there's it's deliberately slowed down and has like this horror aspect to it. But uh, you know, I was sitting there watching, and I'm like, this is and, and obviously Sam Raimi is, is a great director, but it's like, man, thank you for just taking the time to bothering to do it. Yes, for take, <laughs> right. You could have you could have dialed it in and gotten yeah. your paycheck and everybody would have loved it. Right. But but that, that scene in particular was was crafted. And it, it, and people will talk about how much of emotional resonance they had with it. It's like, right, because you gave the actor time to be in, in the frame and you had it set up in such a way that was visually interesting and not overstimulating.
2: Yeah. So I want to talk about a movie on your list that is the opposite of all of these. <laughs> 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 I've highlighted it for you if you want to set it up. If not, I'll set it up.
0: <laughs> well, you ahead and you set it up. You brought it up. Well,
2: I'll, I'll be happy to... Um, <laughs> I have a lot of thoughts on this movie, but I think they are best summarized with the, you quoted Ebert a lot. I (laughs) would be the same.
0: Oh yeah. I looked up Ebert's review on this too. It was awesome.
2: (laughs) Roger Ebert called this movie an aggressively unwatchable movie.
0: That's like my favorite. (laughs) That is, that is such a, that's such a fantastic. <laughs>
2: that's a, that, is, that should be our tagline for this podcast. This is an <laughs> aggressively unwistable bo- podcast, but an aggressively unwatched movie. The name of it is Dream a Little Dream, a movie I had not heard of until Josh oh, really? put it on. Okay, here.
0: so here's why I put it on there. Okay. Because it was between this. License to drive or, um, but I, did, I wa- we're talking about 80s teens films. We grew up in the era and I didn't want to, I wanted to be truthful in that it's like when I was 10, 11 years old, the Corys were cool. You know, they, they were, and I, yeah. and I, I have, to, I, and that not was not in this movie though. <laughs> I like this movie as a kid. It's awful movie, but it was also, <laughs> they, it was like on the tail end of the, Old person enters the young person's body, yeah.
1: Yeah, which uh, is a, a sub genre itself. Kind of <laughs> yeah, yeah, and, it, and it, it was there's Freaky Friday, is like the, the original in the 70s, right. mm-hmm. but there were so many versions of this in the 80s. Yeah,
0: my favorite was the Fred Savage one with, uh, <laughs> with Judge Judge, uh, Judge
1: Ronald. Yeah. yeah, that was that it. Was, was there Well, with like Dudley Moore and Kirk Cameron? There sure was.
0: That came that were like came out nearly the same time. And this yes. came out around that era. So it was like as as a kid, I expected at some point in my life, either as a kid I would I would get transferred into an old person's body, or vice yeah. versa. As it turns out, I did end up in an old person's
3: body. <laughs> it just took, it's a just slow took motion 30, Yeah,
0: it
1: took thirty years. <laughs> so but here funny. I am. And pretty there's, pretty there's no way back. Enough, <laughs> there's no <Udly> enough he <laughs> had the mind of an old man. Right. Mm. So when it's funny you jumped. mentioned
2: that, Jason, because in the same review, Ebert says this. He says, "Right, you got it. This is another one of those never relenting body and mind swap movies." <laughs>
0: <laughs> and then he's saying, "The only thing I kept thinking is, like, my God, what is Jason Robards doing?" <laughs> yeah, no, <laughs> <kidding>. <laughs> so yeah, so it's 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 a bad movie. It's not. Yeah. Yeah, it's got it's full of the the Corey Feldman stuff where he's like dancing around like Michael Jackson and, and, and dressing like him. It's he's it's, and his acting
1: is just god awful in this movie. It's
0: it's bad. It's but, but he he's
2: like he didn't even want to be in this movie.
0: Like, no. <laughs>
1: I think they actually tried to put Jason Robards brain in his head in order for the movie to work, and it just didn't the, take. The only, the and again, the
0: only reason I bring it up is yeah,
2: because the nostalgia I, factor for no, you. No,
0: <laughs> not even nostalgia. It's like this. That's my confession. That's my just honesty. This is yes. This is me being honest with the audience. And like, because okay. We could easily skip over the the quarries and be like, yeah. oh no, no, no. We were too cool for this. No, well, no. I'm Dude, glad we you. Were, I'm glad you're saying I that, because I, I
2: honestly thought you were like. And- I thought you were like setting me up for that. Like you were gonna like be. This is like my favorite film. This ten out of ten. If we can't like this movie,
3: <laughs> so no, I'd no,
0: but, but I will admit, I I the uh, I, I I thought the the lead female was very attractive. I probably rented this movie more than one time from Blockbuster. <laughs> There. I mean, that's that's why it's on That's there. the life it's, of an 80s kid. This is to give us legitimacy as old men talking <laughs> yeah.
1: about the 80s. If we're going to talk about The Breakfast Club, mm-hmm. uh, we, we have to talk about The Corys. I mean, let's be <laughs> honest.
0: My Sister Drive was the first film that I was dropped off at the movie theater to see. I was 11 years wow. old, and uh, I, it may have been PG-13. I may have been in there illegally, <laughs> and it is a garbage movie, but... Like I wanted to see it mm. and it you know and it's culturally at the time that was, what was you know, going this on? is the crap yeah. that, that stranger things leaves out like they want to leave yeah. out the, the embarrassing stuff that people were into it's all like hip and like, like my yeah. daughter is like the the Eddie Munson character she's like oh he's so he's so hot and all this I'm like baby that dude would have been called a dirt leg and nobody would have liked him. <laughs> Yeah, because he was he, he was poor. He was into metal and he played Dungeons and Dragons. And now yes. everybody thinks he's cool. No. But when you were there, you were not cool. was a different I will say one
2: more thing about this. Uh, this. Um, Did you watch it? Dream. Of, I watched the whole freaking thing.
3: <laughs> <laughs> that through Because here's the thing. <laughs> yeah, cover ten. <laughs>
2: And then, you and fool. then, yeah, and then I was like, Josh just pranked <laughs> me hard. Like I thought you, I really did think because I don't want, I don't. If I've never seen it, I don't read anything about it. If you guys put it on the list, I go watch it.
0: Did you ever I think it was going to get better? No, I, you know, no, you about know, you no. Know about, instantly, you'd been about fooled? eight minutes into it. <laughs> I was like. Oh, I'm gonna have so much to say about this movie. <laughs> like, this I guess, this you know, was like, a lesson for you that, like, sometimes you can walk out of it. Yeah,
2: well, it was so bad I ended up sitting through it just so I could be like, if Josh loves this, we're going to war. <laughs> like, I thought this was gonna be the best episode we ever did.
3: <laughs> <laughs> but
2: what I was gonna say about it is Dream of a Dream. Like, okay, all these mind swap movies, the most essential element in any of these movies. This is the key thing that sells it in every one of the like Freaky Friday su- succeeds because. The kid actor pulls off being the older person, right? <laughs> like, that's the one thing you I have to you were do. You say
0: that there's some kind of consistency in in the swapping. Nah, the half, that doesn't the mechanics that, of the swap.
2: Like I could forget. Like this, this, isn't even that good to even break pit. Like you're already, I'm so enraged by the end of this movie <laughs> that like the like how they get back in each other because it's all like there's just weird. Like you have to like channel your dream to get in. it. what? Who cares? I don't like all that's so terrible that that's not what made it. Like the story's garbage.
1: Well, a lot of that had to do with the script rewrites, because the original MacGuffin was the fact that it was going to be tantric sex.
2: Oh, <laughs> I didn't know that, but that, uh, that
1: would have improved least, the uh, movie. That that was <laughs> <supposed to say. laughs> but Corey, but Corey you, you want to check? You want to check the facts on that one, Adam? Before you, <laughs> yeah.
2: Corey Feldman is supposed to play is supposed to be the eighty year
3: old. <laughs>
1: And I honestly n- think Jason Robards would have done a better job.
0: Right, I, th- I think just <laughs> just put a just put a Michael Jackson hat and a glove on Jason <laughs> Robards. And like, oh my God, he's,
2: he's it's just his just Joker. acting is just so terrible. Anyway, I'm glad we I'm glad we I actually am glad you mentioned it. And now that I've seen it, I have a new like if you if you sort my IMDb rating by by rating, <laughs> You got a new <laughs> we have, low. We have a new low. <laughs> we found it. <laughs>
1: I love the fact that you watch this, but you won't watch the stuff that we, you know, yeah, like we won't are point. Good bad movies. <laughs> you watch the bad bad. I movies.
2: watched this because I thought you earnestly liked it. That's <laughs> I
0: <laughs> that's earnestly <a laughs> like the bad movies that are I
2: love. Yeah, but they're, uh, it's a different vibe. Like this movie's not trying to be. This movie's not. Well, that's this movie's r- wants to be good.
0: That's, that's rule that's one so do of the a other bad ones. movie. Being yeah. good is it has to be earnest. If you would ever listen to that that's episode, fair. yeah, that's You would fair.
1: know that. <laughs> How could you be a fan of Mystery Science Theater three thousand and not? Because
0: I like the riffs,
1: I like the jokes. Okay, like, so, like- so, so what, he I'm, uh, what a I'm, riff track
0: without watching the movie. Uh, so, <laughs> that, so I'm getting
1: from funny. you is that you don't have enough imagination yourself to make fun of the movies while you're. You watching. know what?
2: That's funny. That you, you know what it is. That's actually an interesting observation. It's not. It's been beaten out of me because, like, I used to, when my wife and I would go watch movie, or even for years and years and years when we were dating, we'd rent some terrible movie that she wanted to watch, mm-hmm. and I would immediately be
0: <laughs> doing right.
2: crow, doing crow, and she's like, "Just shut up."
0: We, in my marriage, we've reached that stasis where, like, <laughs> you know, we don't like. Yeah, I know. When you're newly married, it's like you do everything together. And this, yeah, it's like
2: I'm gonna go watch a movie. She's like, "Me too," and we're not doing it
0: together. I I know myself (laughs) enough that, like, she's. I'm like, "What are you doing?" She's like, "I'm watching Gilmore Girls. I'm not even gonna go in the room because I know, (laughs) I know, I cannot keep myself from either rolling my eyes or going sighing (laughs) loudly. Right. So, and, and I know that she enjoys it, and for what you know, it's like cool. He literally to, does the army crawl across the floor. Yes, to, 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 the preser- to preserve the stasis of our marriage, I cannot watch this with you. I will. I will. Does she watch it with your daughter? Yes. Is it will, like a
2: mom and daughter thing?
0: Well, until my daughter started watching like eight episodes a day, got it. Yeah. it became a thing. But I don't.
2: So here, throw this grenade in there next time.
0: That sure sucks.
2: If you if you <laughs> if you really yeah no if you really want to be like you know throw a, a a water balloon full of paint in there as they're good you say hey just watch it through the prism that they're actually both really the villains. That's (laughs) the whole, if you watch that show from start to finish with the, with the belief that the mom and daughter are actually the villains of the show, well, we're going to get a bunch of crap on this.
0: (laughs) Who's to say they're not. They, I,
2: they are. I'm a hundred percent. I've watched this. I've watched that entire series cover to cover three times easily with my wife. And then later, my daughter,
0: here's what I hate about Gilmore girls. Yeah. We're here. Yep, <laughs> they people the 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 dialogue is so stilted because everyone has a. It's like Firefly. Everybody is is quippy. Yeah. Everybody has that same voice, but they okay. also they speak really fast and they wait for everybody to stop and then there's a beat and then there's a return. It's like and nobody they interrupts. Go, they go, Hey, no, 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 no. Uh, I'm gonna give you a target return. Oh, yeah. I'm gonna give you a target return. Yeah. And I'm going to give you this talking return, and it's like it's like every scene is just bah, 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 bah. and it, it makes me want <laughs> to just you know scream to the heavens. Somebody take a breath.
2: Have you seen Marvelous Miss Maisel? No. Same same part. Amy Sherman Palladino, who wrote Gilmore Girls, also wrote okay. Marvelous Miss Basil. I like it a lot better. It's the same. It has that problem too. Now that you have mentioned, it, I never noticed it.
0: See, I ruin now. things. Well, I mean, no, but
2: that's what we come to you for. You're right, like the, That's you're why like I don't the- watch
0: it with my wife because I don't want to ruin. it. Because I'd say that, and she wouldn't get that out of her head, and she'd quit watching it, and she'd be mad. And I was like, it's not my fault the show sucks. It's, it's my like fault I pointed out that it sucks. It's what- <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, Corey Feldman, it's terrible. He was great and in, in, in two this movies. Movie. <laughs> <laughs> yes. So he was great it- in Lost Boys, but he also had a very limited role. He was uh, great Goonies. in uh, Goonies. So, also very limited role.
2: And keeping in the same vein, I want to I want to talk about the last movie on Jason's list next. And Jason, I'll let first, you set that it's up. The
0: first in our hearts. <laughs>
2: <laughs> well, I have I have some thoughts on this movie too.
1: <laughs> okay, well, now we may go to war, Jason. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so I wanted to pick you know, since the the topic got broadened just to like apparently movies in the 80s that have teens in it i wanted to get a sampling of different types and this is the whole the the teens go and and they they take the fight that the parents the the adults won't do and and all that and you you have a lot of these you know red dawn is one of them this has to be like the most fun and the best of them iron eagle i unequivocally love iron eagle yes what lou gossett jr how can you not tap it <laughs> Luke Gossett Jr. doing his Luke Gossett Jr. (laughs) It's if for those who haven't seen it, you know,
0: Last Starfighter fits into this genre. Yes, yes,
1: yes. Yeah, the concept of the movie it's you know middle eighties, a bunch of Air Force brats. Uh, One of them's dad is shot down while he's doing a tour over uh, into an undisclosed Middle Eastern country. He's supposed to be like in international airspace, but they claim it. They shoot him down. They capture him. They're going to put him on trial, uh, give him the death sentence and all that kind of stuff. No one in the state department's doing anything because they're not wanting to actually negotiate. They're just kind of wanting to, the small countries wanting to flex their muscles. So the kid comes up with the idea to, mm-hmm. to go rescue his own dad. And there's a lot of things that you just kind of have to go, okay, I'm going to believe that. That's total crap. That's not how anything would ever work. Ever.
2: do do I have do I have to
1: Yes, it's
0: (laughs) law. If you were in the eighties and watched this yeah, I I, I was not teen top gun.
2: It is yes. teen Top Gun yes, minus exactly. all the things that make Top Gun
0: good. No, it's like all the awesome things about this yes. yes. gun, except there's a teen involved.
1: So, okay. so the main conceit yeah, the main conceit uh, conceit of this is the the fact that the kid knows how to fi- uh, fly a fighter jet, mm-hmm. yeah, and 18-year-old. that's yeah, the and that's brought in the fact you know he flies the simulators a lot, he gets in and, and gets free time and that, but his dad has also taken him up. In the jets and let him fly there, and this kid he could fly. He could fly better than anybody else. You want to know why? Cause he listens to rock music when he does it. And he's a teen,
0: just like yeah. you, watching this movie.
1: It's and got a, it's got a pretty baller uh, '80s soundtrack. The
0: soundtrack was great. I'll, I mean, you got I'll Queen you in there yeah.
1: and everything. Yeah, it's it's, it's, it's it, it is throw you back as soon as you start hearing. This it. is the
0: the TV show. It, well, it's playing on the TV all the time in the first season of uh, Cobra Kai. It's like Johnny's favorite movie. Yeah. That's and he gets all of his inspiration from it. they show all the inspirational speeches from Iron. That's so legit. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> oh god. Because, cause Johnny would back in back in the Karate Kid days would have loved Iron Eagle. Yeah. There's no doubt.
1: Yeah, and like I said, the whole concept is like his his group of friends like get together. Uh, they're called the Eagles. And they have like jackets and everything, <laughs> patches on the back. <laughs> Okay. But they all get together because they're of course their parents all work in the Air Force and they're in the different parts that they need in order to get this together. Uh cousin Oliver's dad works in intelligence. Mm-hmm. So he, he gets all the, the satellite photos and everything. John Denver.
0: <laughs>
2: and and let it yeah. not and don't forget to point out that all these teenagers are able to bamboozle an entire Air Force base's infrastructure oh, yes. Yes, with exactly. firecrackers and misdirection
1: yes cuz uh, no uh, one gets shot when that happens well uh, it, it, what it does is it shows also as it, a main 80s teen kids movie is that the the parents are never as competent as the children especially when it right. comes to like technology so they use computers a lot to their advantage and you know are able to to hijack and get two jets fully loaded with weapons did and armor did you armors. just
0: watch Iron Eagle like this week and mm-hmm. yes mm-hmm. <clears> oh that's, yeah
1: that's that's, that's the, the problem, problem. that's yeah. the problem yeah it, it's it's a lot like uh, we had a friend we were talking about like the Monster Squad like how great Monster Squad is and he watched it, he's like I'll don't, I don't get it it's like, <laughs> fair enough yeah because cause you're like thirty something and you just watched it you know like me and
0: Buckaroo Banzai came in too late I watched Buckaroo Banzai in my forties <clears throat> it's not as cool as Iron Eagle that I saw when I was eleven yeah. and I and I believed all that stuff could happen. i i was i was not jaded to the world yet
2: i will i will say this i so like the other movie uh the dare to dream (laughs) i i immediately thought
0: dare to dream
2: uh, i i began to think because i watched dare to dream and then i watched iron ingle right after that
0: dream a little dream
2: and i was like uh the, guy, the guys are out to get me. That's what <laughs> you have colluded to ruin my Dude, week.
1: <laughs> if you didn't like Iron Eagle, you're un American.
0: Well, that is, that is true. I think it's in the, the end of the f- credits. It says that. It does. That's, yeah. If you did not enjoy this
1: movie, there's an 800 number for you to call to <laughs> narc on your friends who said they didn't like that movie.
2: There were some interesting things about it. The U.S. Air Force wouldn't let them film any of their planes because the they have a policy that says you can't film any there's no movie allowed at the time that involves a theft of an aircraft. So we're not going to sanction that kind of same reason like Apple won't let you use iPhones if you're the villain. They they don't want a branding problem. And so all of the planes in this were actually Israeli, including the bad guys plane. Almost all the aerial shots were shot in in Israel. All of the stunts and stuff are coordinated by uh a guy who did a lot of the stunts for top gun which came out did it come out the same year or right after i forget but
1: uh, i think maybe a year or two later i do think this predates top gun
2: <clears throat> uh in any case that was interesting to me that they had to use israeli aircraft the israelis were like 100 percent on board with it too which if you go read a little bit about how they got that gig
1: okay i want to correct myself no it actually came out the year after top
2: oh okay so it is a poor man's talk <laughs> it's
1: literally
0: it's
2: almost like a mockbuster if you've,
1: <laughs> it's seizing uh, the
0: yeah it was certainly capitalizing on the, yeah yeah
2: the dialogue's terrible the plot's terrible this it makes no sense but it, I, i'm looking through old man eyes is that the problem is that the, yes
1: if you okay. what if you're, you're bringing that roger ebert yeah. energy man <laughs> If if you're an eight to like thirteen year old kid watching this, uh-huh. it's like yeah, that's right. I bet if someone let me fly a jet, I could fly a jet like that.
2: That's yeah. They just I'll, they just won't wet me.
1: <laughs> play my weird out tapes and I'll that's fly right. like I'll a, put on my Pac Man fever tape,
0: man. <laughs> and then follow up with uh, Mister Roboto. Anyway. I had the record for Mister Roboto, so I couldn't fit it in the airplane.
2: <laughs> <laughs> anyway, well, I'm glad I'm glad I saw it and I, I have an appreciation of the, ne- the next uh, next, one I want to talk about. And we can just do this really briefly because I think we've talked about it before, but it's it's Ferris Bueller's Day Off. And the only reason I want to talk about it is simply so that I can Because Ferris was
0: in Cameron's mind the whole right. time. That's the... That's the
2: <laughs> I know that you really, really hate fan theories on movies. Like, you when should do a dumb, whole hate box yes. on that. <laughs> and I, over the last 20 years, popular... Theory has been that Ferris Bueller's day off is fight club and that Ferris Bueller is Cameron. They are the same person and he's in his mind. We're,
0: did you really want to talk about this? I
2: really wanted you to, to tell me why you think that that's a bad fan theory and why because you because
0: it's a fan theory a because why would Rooney be looking for Ferris and he didn't really give a crap about Cameron Ferris had a sister. So Cameron like made up this whole family dynamic. The yeah the same if as anybody Spike, is like, is fight a, club. Yeah,
1: <laughs> If anybody is a figment of anyone's imagination, it's Cameron. It's Cameron. You is don't actually... see anyone in Cameron's oh, family funny. in that whole movie. <laughs> that's I, that, that <laughs> no one infinitely... gives a crap that Cameron didn't show up for school yeah, that day. That's, that's infinitely more plausible. Oh,
0: that's a really good take. Actually, that that's that Ferris made up Cameron as an excuse to excuse his abhorrent behavior.
2: Like he's the good guy. Yeah. 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 And you Ferris think, is
0: a jerk, by the way. Has, yes. So go. So he tell is. me
2: all about why you think Ferris is a jerk. Um, I want to hear all your old man rants about Skip, Ferris viewers day I,
0: I always thought he was a jerk. Skip school. Talk pre- yeah. about peer pressure. He practically bullies. Cameron into leaving. Literally, okay. not practically. Literally. Yeah. <laughs> they, uh, they ruined Ed's the him... car yeah. like m- multiple ways. Um, <laughs> he's
1: the I villain. think Charlie
0: Sheen was better a better dude than Ferris. <laughs> 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 yeah, it just he's just crap, man. He's a crap dude. He's a user. He so is. Do, do you like the
2: movie overall?
0: I love it. My favorite. My <laughs> favorite. <laughs> Just when you think you're gonna zig, he zags. It's a good film. It's a fun film, but it's not a film that if that stands up to scrutiny. No, and and it is certainly not a film that stands up to these cockamamie theories that are obviously not true and that are just just clickbait for some website. (laughs) Oh, it's like that's not a popular theory. No one ever thought that. No one ever thought, and then even if it's true, what does it matter? Because they don't reveal it. You're just making crap up. I, Here we I go. hate that stuff.
2: There so we go. Much. <laughs> I'm cranking.
0: <laughs> what?
1: Oh, family <laughs> show, man. <laughs> it's
0: just—it's <laughs> like Jason and Rogue One into to uh, uh-huh. the a new home. It's like, no, it's just like an episode of so they Let the hate flow the- through you. <laughs> this, this, this is gold. <laughs> We're just, a, we're just a diplomatic vessel.
1: Imagine, <laughs> so, imagine Ronnie Dobbs being the captain. <laughs> <laughs> That's fine, but he wasn't. It's just, it was a bad. Oh no! Yeah, bad, that was, it, it was outcome. a bad transition. Yes, I, yes, I'm not gonna lie. It, about it,
0: it was reductive to the original story. John Hughes'
2: movie, if we haven't mentioned that already, it's another one of his teen Chicago stories of whatever's going on in teens in Chicago, and uh, came out in '86. It's the reason I, I think it's important to be on this list is it, it is a culturally significant film. And I mean that both generally speaking, but also literally it was added to the film registry in 2014 as a culturally significant. Movie. Oh, sure. So yeah, it's a- it, it's a it's an important 80s teen movie. I like it a lot. I think it's a great popcorn movie. I agree with you 100% that if you stop and oh, I no, guess like like a Gilmore like Gilmore Girls, right? If you just if you just turn off your brain and just let it go, it's okay.
0: There there are moments. Cameron in the in the art gallery is that's that yeah, that's, that's a gold. significant deep moment. <laughs> and and there's there's that that's that's a pretty cinematic. Mm-hmm. You know, endearing part. But you know, it is funny, Matthew. Everybody loves Matthew Broderick.
2: Yeah man who never ages with that baby face but you know it's it, it's worth talking about i mean i, w- I don't think there's much more that i need to say about it but
1: no, it, it was a huge hit at the time yeah because, i mean unlike, was,
2: unlike it, both of the last two movies we talked about which were yeah. both which were deservedly box office, disa- box office disasters
1: so <laughs> but, no, it's, it, was, it was very popular in the uh, the movie theaters very popular as a rental yeah, I I think there was like a weekend I I knew someone who was renting that movie like every weekend. I could see that somebody that I knew at school that their family said,
2: oh we watched Ferris Bueller. Yeah, yeah. I, I could tell you why though it's because of what Josh talked about the low stakes.
1: Oh yeah, it, there's it,
2: there, there, you watch this movie if you turn off your brain, it's just it's just a fun ninety minutes right you you just let it go.
1: Well, once again it's low stakes as an adult now but as a kid like yeah. getting caught by the vice principal.
0: Well, I don't know about. It's not the, a small thing. The, the, the attempted insurance fraud of rolling yeah. back the odometer—that's a federal offense. Oh, come on! But it is. <laughs> it is. Yeah, but come on. <laughs> and I mean, that was a sweet car that he just totally ruined. So
2: yeah, and they they ruined like four of them in the in the movie. Yeah. Well,
0: I'm talking about within With the- the, in the film. It yeah. only
1: ruined one. Uh, it, right. it was a replica, but yeah, I mean, yeah. It, it, in the film, it's supposed to be, I believe, a Ferrari California. Yeah, yeah. I remember correctly. I remember he ruined his, his sister's first. life.
2: It was, a, it was a 250 GT California Spider. Not, Others. not that I know cars, but that's...
0: <laughs> it was a four-wheel red car. Yeah, It was red. <laughs> Very expensive. Shiny.
2: It was one of them red cars. I've always wanted a garage like that and as an adult that pristine museum-like quality with the glass God, all over it. I didn't around.
0: like how it was hanging. It was like on stilts and like over the web. What about you, Josh? Anything else you want to talk about? or I think we pretty much talked about everything I want to talk about. You crapped all over like a uh, great film, so... Yeah.
1: <laughs> that's, that's <laughs> I have one more that I want to do. Yeah, I'd love to. Uh, Which one? with the last one on my list. Uh, I don't have your list. because it is... It has also been chosen for preservation by the Library of Congress. Mm-hmm. And I actually watched it again a few days ago because it's been a while. Rewatching it reminds me just like how brilliant this movie was when it oh, came yeah. out. Mm-hmm. I watched it today, actually. Yeah, <laughs> I watched. I
0: watched it like a month or so ago. Just to, yeah. uh, my wife had never seen it, so
1: and it's a uh, uh, it. nightmare on Elm Street. Uh, Wes Craven wrote and directed this. This mm-hmm. is one of the best horror movies of the eighties. Mm-hmm. Really, kind of reevaluated that whole almost slasher genre. Uh, mm-hmm. One of the main conceits of a lot of horror movies is is isolation you have to isolate the victims from society and the great thing about this is where's the best place to isolate them in their own minds freddy doesn't just stalk people and kills them like he torments them in their dreams Uh, he it's it's a build-up for him whereas you know friday the 13th and halloween and all Mm -hmm. that kind of stuff they're they're murderers of opportunity right Mm. you know as soon as the, the opportunity shows itself, they kill somebody with whatever's at hand. Freddy doesn't. Freddy plays with them. It's a cat and mouse game. Uh, because he's he's torturing the kids because... He's getting back he, at the parents. Yes, he's he's taking revenge on the kids for the sins of their parents. Yeah. Here, now here, Adam, is a fan theory I can get behind.
0: Freddy was innocent. And that's why he was killing those kids. Because those parents...
2: Tortured him and they were tortured. The bad guys. him
0: and killed him. Yeah, I've seen that. That's just but, but quick, I, that's just I, quick
2: I, bait nonsense that they throw on a website. <laughs> and-
0: <laughs> so you, you say it with no <laughs> conviction, so I win. Yeah. Uh, but but that that's clearly not the case because like yeah. they the the parents say he was totally guilty and he got off on technicality or something. Yeah, legal but, technicality. But I, but I guess if you were if you'd murdered an innocent person, I, you know you would tell your kids that oh no he was guilty. <laughs> but that that that's a fan theory that I don't subscribe to, but I'm like, yeah, I mean, that there's that some. would be interesting.
1: From, yeah, yeah, from the presentation of the, the film, that is a possibility, but there's a lot of stuff that didn't make it to the film. Uh, in Wes Craven's original script, I mean, he was called a child molester, mm. and then they changed it to just child murderer. Yeah. Uh, and yeah. the set, the boiler room set, like there's a section and it just, it never made it onto the big screen, but you know, where Freddie slept, like he slept in the boiler room. And so it was his little corner and they were like naked dolls and stuff like that. So there was, there was a lot of inference there, Mm -hmm. even if they didn't completely say it, but watching this movie, there's, there's so many great subtle things that I like about that. A lot of other movies would just come out and say it outright, Yeah, but they don't, uh, after the first murder, uh, which by the way, the, the first woman who dies, uh, Tina Gray, this same actress who uh, dumped John Cusack in Better Off Dead, but oh. uh, this is also it, the, it,
2: this is the movie that launched Johnny Depp's career, which I yeah,
1: well, it, yeah, it's it's, it's it's didn't launch his career, but it's, it's his first on film. Yeah, uh, Twenty One Jump Street probably, probably did actually it. launched yeah. it. Yeah, after the the first girl is murdered, the the main character Nancy is in the police station with her mother, and the the police detective comes in. Then you find out what well, that's that's her father. And there's clearly tension between the father and the mother. And then later on at the house, well, the father is never in the house. So clearly there's a separation going on, but they never explicitly state that.
2: They they leave out the exposition.
1: Yeah. And then, of course, they build up to the reveal that, you know, uh, the the fight at least between uh, mother and daughter, the fact that the mother has a drinking problem because they're. You know the the next scene, the next morning, her mother's oh, got like again. a bottle of vodka, <laughs> <laughs> and like you know before the kid goes off to school. Mm-hmm. So morning drinking
2: is that frowned upon?
1: Is that <laughs> wait well,
2: wait yes, is that frowned upon? well
1: yes that's that's why we're recording this at eight a.m. Because the... we've got to talk to you about the fact that you're downing Fre- 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 an certainly. entire plastic gallon jug <laughs> of tequila.
0: Freddie certainly fell down the the path of of becoming uh, a caricature. Yes. Yeah, but Wes Craven did like uh, did do service to the character with a new nightmare, which there was around the time of Scream and and there's New Nightmare and uh, in the Mouth of Madness. All kind of have this meta contextual element to them. A New Nightmare is a pretty frightening film, basically. They're remaking. They're they're doing another, probably, uh, another uh, Nightmare on Elm Street film, like so. All the people are playing themselves, and Freddy like is like starts to manifest himself in the real world. So it's it's, it's pretty good.
1: Uh, yeah, it song. adds all this mythology to it, like the yeah. fact that the, the concept of Freddy come, came from like this old mythological like game that it has it is essentially trapped in stories to prevent it. Yeah. It's it's
0: yeah. uh it's one of the better of the kind of. Post-modern. meta Yeah.
1: I love this film so much, just like the crazy stuff they did, because, like I said, he attacks them in their sleep while they're dreaming. There's this question of what's real and what isn't a lot of times in the film. I, there's this bit I love, because it, it has to be in, like, essentially, like, every horror film and all that stuff. You know, they, they take her to, or her mother takes her to, like, a uh, a sleep clinic, because, you know, they don't believe that she's being haunted yeah. by this. You know, yeah. creature that comes in her dreams. And That's
2: that actually one kind of stuff. the better parts of the movie because it it's like the rational thing. Yeah. Like imagine you're a parent and your kid's going through whatever. Take her to the expert. That's what you would do, yeah, right?
1: Exactly. Like, <laughs> let's actually get her some help. Yeah. But uh, Charles Fleischer plays the doctor, and a lot of people may know Charles Fleischer. He was an actor and comedian and voiceover uh, artist, best known for being the voice of Roger Rabbit. So that gave him, like, you know, fame for eight months uh charles fleischer is the the doctor and everything and then you of course have to have the speech that is completely crap but he's you know like the mother said like, what's going on it's like well people, never we don't long. know we don't know everything about dreams we don't know where they come from i think you do you're a doctor <laughs> you know they come from your own mind so it's they're they're not being transported it in could, from- it could be aliens so we don't know <laughs>
2: Well I'll wrap it up here. I'll I'll say this. There were there were a handful of movies. I'm sure everyone uh listening to this is gonna have their own favorites that we didn't mention. Uh, I know handful- we're just
0: talking about an entire decade. Yeah, yeah. there's there's a handful <laughs> And movies of a with a
1: teenagers in it. That was Yeah.
2: There's a ton of them that that were close to being uh, talked about and we it, we just did we just ran out of time. So maybe we'll do a part two of this sometime in the future. But in any case, uh, we'll go ahead and, and wrap it up there. If you'd like to tell us some of your favorite movies, we'd love to, uh, 80s teen movies, we'd love to hear about it. Uh, the best way to do that it would be to post it on our Facebook page or, uh, or on Twitter and let us know what you think. You could also email us at brickedpit at gmail.com. Uh, or if you'd like to leave us a voicemail, which we'd absolutely love, that's anchor.fm forward slash brickedpit. Super easy to do that. And uh, and as far as, uh, as movies go that we that we talked about that I hated, let the guys know how much you agree with me. That's That's really important. Until next time, this is The Brick Pit.
0: And we'll see you in